the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, I would first like to start off by actually continuing from last week. And you might be thinking, aye, aye, I wasn't here last week, so how do I know what happened here last week? Um, So, last week, I would guess, now tell me if I'm wrong, that you had a service of remembrance. Did we? Lucky guess. So did we. So did most other places. Very important, isn't it? And I want to continue and link the theme from last Sunday to this Sunday because there is a continuation. And I want to introduce that to you by reading um, from a, a book of mine I've had for many years. It's called Adolf Hitler, My Part in His Downfall by Spike Milligan. And um, some of you may know it, Spike Milligan's quite a, a humour and a wit in his days, and he served in the army and had dealt with many of the difficulties and tragedies and things he faced with in his way of humour. And I just want to read the first few opening verses of the book, entitled, How It All Started. September the 3rd, 1939. The last minutes of peace ticking away. Father and I were watching Mother dig in our air raid shelter. She's a great little woman, said Father. And getting smaller all the time, I replied. Two minutes later, a man called Chamberlain, who did Prime Minister impersonations, spoke on the wireless and he said, As from 11 o'clock, we are at war with Germany. I love the wee bit. War, said mother. Must have been something we said, said father. The people next door panicked, burnt their post office books and took in the washing. War. And we remembered that, did we not, last week. But today, and the reading that we have, is a reminder that war is still on. We are still in a state of war. And okay, it's not a world war against Germany and Japan, but it is a spiritual war, a spiritual battle. And that battle still continues and rages. And in that lesson we had there from Acts, it tells you something of the warfare that Paul faced in taking the good news of Jesus. And something of that warfare still continues now, to this day, is going on in our midst. We are still at war. And I don't know whether many of you have watched um, Dad's Army. Dad's Army's um, uh, often uh, another comedy program um, around the war. And um, I often, when I watch Dad's Army, I'm mindful of the times, either Captain Mannering or Corporal Jones. You know, Corporal Jones, the the one they they don't like it up and Mr. Mannering, you know, with the the bayonet and and everything. Uh, The coat steel, that's right. And uh, I remember a a case when there was a, a German soldier hanging from the town clock and he was telling him to come down. And he was telling him to come down 
in the name of the King. And time and time in that program, and time and time in the authority of war, battle was commenced in the name of the king. Now, Joe, I didn't know she was going to say this, led brilliantly into what I'm going to be saying. Um, yes, there are so many powerful names. And amongst our nation, if you are a soldier, a citizen, it's the name of our sovereign, the name of the king or the queen. But what we're going to highlight, and hopefully what I'm going to highlight this morning, is, as Joe said, there is a name more powerful than the name of the king or queen, the name of Jesus. And the reason that I pick up on this is if you're looking in the book of Acts, here in chapter 19, on three occasions in this chapter, it mentions the name of the Lord Jesus. Three times in a small passage. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, it said. It also says that um, that, uh, uh, the name of the Lord Jesus the exorcists were trying to cast demons out. And then we hear, they all uh, fear fell upon them and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. The name of Jesus. And the first point that I want to uh, underline, looking back in the earlier part of this story with Paul in Ephesus, is my first point is there is no other name under which we can be saved, verse 5. And Paul said, um, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. There is no other name under heaven. There is no other name given by God by which we can be saved, but the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the story here was that there were a group of disciples, so they were obviously people who were um, uh, uh, trying, you know, to follow the way, as it was called then, but they hadn't been baptized into the name of Jesus. They'd just been baptized into the name or baptized by John in repentance towards God. And so the first point I'm going to make within this is simply this. We're not saved by just believing that God exists. And you will come across this in society, you'll come across it as you talk to people. People naturally think, oh, well, I believe that there is a God. There must be some higher form of power, something invisible we don't understand. Look at electricity, or even more baffling, the cloud, wherever that is, moving around. You know, you can't see it, but you know it's there. And people say, well, you know, you look at the world around us, you see um, a house, you know there's a builder, you see a painting, you know there's a painter. You look at creation, you must know it's obvious that there's a creator. There must be a God. That general belief may well be a starting point, but it's not enough to save you. Then there's the other view that um, also that if you fear God, that might be enough. You know, if you try your best. 
And this uh, passage makes it clear that these weren't just some people who turned up occasionally. These were disciples. And the word disciple has that element of somebody willing to be discipled, willing to be trained. They obviously feared God. And obviously hearing um, through the ministry of John and the need to repent, um, they were believing that um, God is someone that exists and not only exists, but is someone that we must bow our lives to and submit to. Well, we're not the only ones who think like that, do we? There are plenty of other religions in the world that believe not just that there must be a God, but believe that God is someone who is all-powerful and is to be obeyed. We only have to look at Islam and the rise of Islam around the world to see that. That is very appealing to many people. However, that still isn't enough. Here were these people. They had gone even further than that. And my other point here is even being in the right religion isn't enough. Here they were. They were disciples. But because they had only been baptized into John, and the name of John is quite significant. If I was to ask you the question... Who is the greatest person who ever lived? Now, that's an interesting question, isn't it? I remember asking my father that, who isn't a Christian, sadly, yet, but I keep praying for him. And I asked my father, I said, Dad, who do you think is the greatest person who ever lived? And um, he thought it was Delia Smith, for some strange reason. (laughs) He likes the recipes. (laughs) But of all the people, oh, yeah, she's the greatest woman that's ever lived as well, Delia Smith. Well, yeah, we all think of Delia, and she's very good, and her recipes are lovely. But Jesus was actually, actually had an answer to this question. And when Jesus uh, was talking about it, he said, There is none greater born of woman than John the Baptist. So John the Baptist, even being disciples, even being in the, uh, the right religion, if you like, even following the greatest person who'd lived up until then, um, was not enough. They had to be baptised into the name of Jesus Christ. And why? Because John, although he was great, he pointed the way to Jesus. John didn't suffer on the cross and die for our sins. John didn't rise from the dead. John didn't send the Holy Spirit but Jesus did. And so these disciples here were incomplete, if you like, in their faith. They were heading in the right direction, like we meet so many people. Maybe when you do Alpha or something, we meet people going in the right direction, but they hadn't quite got there yet. And maybe you know folk like that, people who are searching, people who are seeking, but people who hadn't yet got to that point in their life where they've known for themselves that Jesus loves them, that he died for them, that he's washed them, that he's forgiven them everything wrong in their lives. That peace which passes all understanding. So, verse 5, there is no other name. Moving on, and the second thing I want to mention is verse 13. The name of Jesus is not a magic word. 
Some people can treat the name of Jesus as a magic word. And we've got a story here from the sons of Sceva that we'll get on to. But thinking of that, if I was to ask you, what magic words do you know? I've noted down three that have come through our history and our culture in our language and is in common use. Um, what words would you say? Have we got any ideas? Abracadabra, yes. Absolutely, yes. Abracadabra. <laughs> I keep thinking of Tommy Cooper, but anyway. anyway. Um, which means, basically, let the magic take effect. Abracadabra. You know, he used to do the one, and he spoon jar jar spoon, spoon jar jar, and he used to have someone pull in a string with a spoon in a jar anyway. But um, yes, and you say these words, abracadabra. Another one, open sesame. Who's heard that? When you want a door to open or a jar, open sesame, and it opens. Well, we know it's nonsense, don't we? We know it's not true, and there isn't power in those names. Any others that anyone can think of? Sorry? Please and thank you. Yeah, I suppose that's a good one, isn't it? They can be magic words, yes, to get children to unlock their parents' um, uh, uh, yes, purses or whatever. Please, please, may I have those sweets or whatever. Please and thank you. And there's another one I, I thought of, and that is the word hocus pocus. Hands up if you've heard of hocus pocus. Yeah? Hocus pocus. I wonder if any of you know where that originates from. Sorry? Witches? No. Actually, the word hocus pocus relates back to the Middle Ages and it relates back to church services. And in this country, as in many other countries, all the services were done in Latin. And um, when the, the priest in the church used to come and he would take the, the cup in the wine and when he would lift the bread, he, and, and this was of course in Catholic theology and Catholic belief, believed that the bread and the wine physically changed from being bread and wine into physically Christ's physical body and physical blood whereas we believe it's a spiritual change that goes on in our hearts. They believe that it was a physical change to the elements. And so as the priest lifted up the bread, he would say the Latin words, hoc es corpus meum, this is my body. And the people at the back who were, didn't understand Latin or what on earth was going on, they knew that was the bit in the service. And they would, one would say, here, Fred, look, he's saying the hocus pocus. So that's where the term hocus pocus derives from, from that. But of course, we mustn't treat the name of Jesus as a magic word, because it's not. How do we know it's not? Because of in this next little story here of the sons of Sceva. There they were, seeing great miracles being done by the Apostle Paul. Now, there's this amazing story that precedes it, that God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. Uh, Even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and their evil spirits came out of them. That's amazing, isn't it? That things like that so were happening with Paul. But actually, if you read the book of Acts, and I know you've been studying this, 
the book of Acts, Luke is split it into two halves. The first half is about Peter and particularly focuses on Peter and all the miracles and things God did mightily through him, authenticating him as as an apostle. And then in the second half of Acts, it focuses on Paul and all the great miracles that were done through Paul. And of course, Jesus himself was attested as the Messiah by signs and miracles that he did. So this was showing to people that yes, Peter and yes, of course, Paul were both authentically taking forward the truth and the word of God. Time and time in the book of Acts, you read it and it says, many miraculous signs and deeds were done by the apostles. Now that's led some to believe that all miracles died out with Paul and Peter and the apostles. But actually the Bible doesn't teach that. Um, But it teaches that, that God still does mighty things. But if we're honest... You know, I've never had a time when somebody's taken my handkerchief and it's caused a, a healing. Um, we don't sort of kind of hear of things in this way to the same extent, but that's not to say that God isn't still doing miraculous things throughout the world and in different places. But here especially, the point I'm trying to raise is this. It's especially authenticating the ministry of Paul. And some, these seven sons of Sceva, were so impressed by this that they thought they would have a go and they used to get involved in exorcisms and they used to use, obviously, magic words and all sorts of things to try and exorcise demons. And one of the ways in which they used to do it is always to try and talk about a higher name, a higher name. And they thought this Jesus who Paul preaches, and they went to this guy with this demon, and they said, you know, spirit come out of it in the name of Jesus that Paul proclaims. And what happened? Well, it didn't end up well for them, did they? It didn't work. They got attacked. They got beaten. They were almost stripped naked, and they fled away. And you've got this lovely verse here, which always cuts to my heart in verse 15. And the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, poor I know, but who are you? Who are you? That always gets me. That would be the worst thing ever, wouldn't it, if we were to pray for someone who was, uh, had an evil spirit and for the spirit to speak out and say, who are you? Well, this just goes to show that the power in the name of Jesus is for those who possess the power of Jesus, who possess his forgiveness in their lives, who's been washed from him. Those of us who are his soldiers, who've been dressed in his uniform, we're fighting for him, we're wearing the clothes of forgiveness, the robe of righteousness that Christ gives to us when we're forgiven. We're fighting under his banner, He is our king. He is our God. We love him. He is in us. And so when we speak in the name of Jesus, we're not speaking of our own. We're not speaking as though his name is a magic word. We're speaking of the power 
of Jesus Christ, who by his Holy Spirit is taken us, who's rescued us from the enemy, has washed us, has cleansed us, has forgiven us, and is using us now mightily in building his kingdom. And so finally, the last one in verse 17, the glorious name of Jesus sets captives free. Well, people were enslaved in this passage, we hear, by disease, by demons, and by dark magic arts. And here we see at the end of this passage the power in the name of Jesus to bring about real change in people. You know, they used to say years ago, you can't change human nature. Well, I beg to differ. You can change human nature. Not through our programs, through our efforts, through our psychotherapy, but through the Holy Spirit in the power of God to take us, to pick us up, and to remake us, to make us a people who through his Holy Spirit wants to please him, wants to serve him, wants to fight for him. You can do it. And here the evidence where the people heard the name of Jesus was extolled because of all the things that happened. And it actually went on, not just to be a name that people confessed on their lips, but it was a name that had power to change lives. They took their magic books The people in the culture in Ephesus, it was a very popular thing to have books of incantations and spells, to have all these things passed down, and they were extremely valuable. And they took their books, these valuable books, and they burnt them. It's as though they were no longer of any value to them. You would have thought they could have sold them and kept the money and still followed Jesus, but no, they didn't. They went and they burnt those books. And still today, I hear testimony of people who were trapped in the occult, who were trapped into things, who had books, who were trapped, who taught them all sorts of rubbish and nonsense, and they've thrown them away, or in many cases, still take them and burn them. And it shows the power of the name of Jesus to transform individuals. And in all of this, the name of Jesus is powerful in spiritual warfare. It's not just to push back the enemy, but to rescue from the grip of the evil one all who have been enslaved by him. And let's be honest, do we not? We live in a world where people are enslaved by evil. We see that around us. And we can even, if we're honest at times, see it in our own lives. I see it where I am, over in Beach Hill and Spencer's Wood. I saw it particularly when I worked in prisons as a prison chaplain, seeing lives that were trapped um, by the forces of evil and the devil. And what God wants is not just us to, like the woman in the book here, dig an air raid shelter and get lower and lower and deeper and deeper and bunker away, but he wants us to go out into the front and over the front line and to take the battle into the world, holding high the banner and the name of Jesus. And he wants us not only to push back 
the kingdom of darkness, but he also wants us to be involved with him in rescuing people whom the devil, the evil one, is ensnared and trapped in his ways. Examples of changed lives are the biggest witness to this power. I've just had one recently in my parish. Um, It was amazing. It was a guy, he's been an atheist, Marxist atheist all his life, convinced, very militant, involved in all these militant groups. And one day, he was um, on holiday, and he just felt himself strangely praying. And he didn't know what was going on. And then he felt he should pray to God and he didn't know what was going on and he ended up becoming a Christian. He ended up, <laughs> he ended up being baptised and confirmed only a few weeks ago at Reading Minster. His life was completely transformed. He decided that he's going to read the Bible and he read it with hunger from cover to cover. Stephen is his name and he read it and it's transformed it and you can see how he's been rescued, how he's been taken out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light. And I finish with this word of encouragement. There he's been for 69 years, an avowed atheist, um, and completely disregarding and even hating God. And yet he was changed. And we think, well, that's quite amazing because it it seemed to happen all of the Holy Spirit and all on his own. And I thought that initially. I thought, God, what are you doing? You're doing this. You don't need us to go out um, evangelizing because you're already doing all the work. And to a degree, God always is. He always is ahead of us. But... I was talking with Pads and with others at, um, at Reading Christian Network, and uh, one of the ministers said to me, he said, I bet you'll find that there's one of his family or friends has been praying for him for years. And I saw him and I said, Stephen, I said, um, uh, when we were doing our prep for confirmation, I said, um, have you got anyone in your family or friends are Christians? Because he said that they were all Marxist atheists, and he said, well, he said, there is one. There's, a, there's, another, there's another guy, a guy called David. And uh, he's a Christian. He's a brother-in-law. And he's been praying for him for years and for years. So don't give up. Don't give up hope if you've got family or friends who aren't in the kingdom yet. Don't give up hope thinking that Satan's victory is just marching on and steamrolling everything. Don't let that get you down. Keep praying. Keep praying for your family, for your friends, for your neighbours. Because God, in his own time, will do amazing things. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only name that we can be saved and delivered and set free. Amen. Amen.